0: Hi and welcome to the Stunt Show here on the Nahum Siegel Network. My name is Leo Razumik and I will be your host today on this beautiful Rosh Chodesh Kislev. When there is no better time to talk about miracles, which brings me to our topic today. You know when you hear a story and you're just amazed at how Hashem works in these miraculous ways. Well, today I've decided to share two stories that are so unbelievable, I can't do them justice on my own. So I've invited the people involved in each story to join me to ensure that we get all the details and facts straight. I guarantee you that these stories are true. I've seen one of them happen with my own eyes. And to give you a preview and pique your interest, one story is about a 77-year-old Jewish man who has a bar mitzvah at 77, not at 13. And the other is about a man in his 50s who meets his family for the first time, only to find out that he was living three doors down from them for about 10 years or more than that. I hope you are as excited as I am to learn more about these stories and about the people involved from the people themselves. So stay tuned to the Nahum Single Network and we'll be right back with the stories after this. i the Nahum Siegel Network. My name is Leo Rizamic, and today we are telling some crazy stories uh, that at first you may not think are true, but they are, and we are telling them from the people who they happen to. I am joined now by Dr. Glassman, who is a Reserve Lieutenant in the IDF, Mohel, and Geriatric Specialist. He is also the CEO of Hadarta, an organization promoting integrative Torah-based geriatric consultation for the Jewish community. Their signature project is current is currently planning a con- and constructing of a continuous care retirement community in Sva, Israel. So that's a lot, but we will hear from you soon. Thank you. Um, we are also joined by Mr. Robert Fokos. Who, do um, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Mr. Fokos?
1: Okay. Uh Best way to start, that uh, I was born as Robert Fried, but my family changed our name to Fokos uh, during the communist system in Hungary. I was born in 1936 in Budapest, and I usually tell people that it was the wrong place and the wrong time.
0: What do you mean by that?
1: Well, Hungary is in the center of Europe, in a way, and I was born into just prior to the Second World War and the Holocaust in Hungary, and I lived through all of that. By the age of 20, I lived, through a Hungarian fascist government, the German occupation of Hungary, the Second World War which was fought two different ways, first the Germans heading east and then the Russians heading west both times through Hungary, which meant that the, the, the city where I was living was constantly being bombed and uh, that's my memory from my childhood. And so
0: then, you're living in America now. When did you come to America?
1: I came to, to this country after the Hungarian Revolution against the Russian occupation of the country. And although the revolution lost, A lot of people left the country, and I did as well. I was exactly 20 years old. I came to this country. I did not speak English. I didn't have a penny in my pocket, but I found the American dream here, and that's what happened since. Okay. So
0: then years later, um... I guess sometime in your 70s, you found yourself in a hospital.
1: Correct? That is true. Uh, I, I found myself, I had a congestive heart failure and during the rehab of that, I slipped and broke my ankle and back into the hospital. And during that time, uh, it turned out to be somewhat unusual because my wife and I were planning to take two of our granddaughters to Hungary when this all happened. And the granddaughters 21 and 19 uh, we decided that the time and the opportunity to have them to travel with grandparents is not going to happen again. So my wife And the two granddaughters went on a trip, and I stayed here in a hospital where my daughter, who lives in Seattle, came back to be my health advocate here. Dr. Glassman met her. Her name is Michelle. And during my hospitalization, for whatever reason, I got terribly, terribly depressed.
0: Okay, so... just, I want to mention that that's where you met Dr. Glassman, correct? That's where you two met?
1: Well, the way I met Dr. Glassman was very special. Because what Dr. Wait, before Glass- we tell
0: that part of the story, I want to hear how Dr. Glassman got to the hospital. And then we're going to discuss how you two sort of came together there. Okay? Okay. I-
1: I, I couldn't hear what you said. So say it we're going to
0: talk about. I have Doctor Glassman here, so I want to hear how he got to the hospital. Okay. And so he's going to tell us his, you know, good. Okay. Little beginning to the story. So why don't you go ahead and tell us that?
2: Okay, sure. Uh, hello. Um, well, I was, uh, and I still am a hospitalist at Martha's Vineyard Hospital, where. Uh, I was fortunate to be taking care and helping to take care of, uh, of Robert, um, and basically, I was the physician for his uh, for his uh, rehab care uh, after he had uh, uh, been admitted to our hospital. Um, and i had an inkling that he was jewish but i wasn't sure i saw some pictures on his uh on his uh, table when i came in that w- gave a hint that maybe he was jewish but i wasn't sure by by his name
0: and uh, it says in the story you were wearing a kippa so y- it was clear that you were jewish
2: yes i was i was wearing a kippa as i as i as i do typically everywhere sometimes
0: people don't wear them to work so i'm just sure. letting people know that you know if you were to read the story I guess that's how everybody knew that you were Jewish. That's right. Um, So then you two met. So, Mr. Focos, you were saying that you had some sort of depression, and you started to tell us how exactly you met Dr. Glassman.
1: Well, after seeing Dr. Glassman the first time, and recognizing that he was Jewish, I was telling my daughter, who was raised Lutheran, because my wife is Lutheran, and I am not a very religious person, and religion never played too much part in my life, but at the point when I felt that I wasn't sure if I'm going to live or die, all of the sudden, I felt an urgent need to reclaim my religion. And so you ap- didn't know how. You appro- who approached so
0: Dr. Glassman? How did you? My team up?
1: daughter. I told her how terrible I felt because I did not know a single prayer, and I can't pray. My daughter. Revealed that to Dr. Glassman, who next day came in to my room with a slip of paper on it, was a prayer both in Hebrew and in English. And basically, that was the first time that we kind of connected on that level. So I'm and just curious. Um-
0: Dr. Glassman, your thoughts when that happened.
2: Well, yes, uh, I was certainly very touched by the fact that uh, that uh, Mr. Focus wanted to reach out in that way. Hello? Yes, um, I, I was very touched uh, when... when. Hello? Hello,
1: Robert? Go ahead. I'm sorry, you keep cutting cut and coming back, so go ahead.
2: I was... I was just saying that I was very touched by the fact that uh, that uh, you wanted to reach out in that way, and I, uh, as you said, I brought in a prayer. Uh, it was the Shema prayer, the uh, the declaration of Jewish faith, essentially, and uh, that was the that was our first step, I guess you would say, in the journey um, uh, of of return, so to speak. So, in um, in the, in the, in
1: the but there was the, the real high point of, of that event was that I discussed with Dr. Grassman that I was really concerned if I die, I won't be able to be buried as a Jewish man because I never was bar mitzvah. To that, doctor Glassman said that he can perform bar mitzvah for me right there in my hospital bed, which and I was totally stunned when he said that. And indeed, Fourth of July year ago, last year, Dr. Glassman, his wife, his two children, my wife, who came back from the European trip by that time, and my daughter at my bedside, Dr. Glassman, performed a miracle for me.
0: So now I'd like to hear from Dr. Glassman exactly how he made the preparations for that day.
2: Uh, yes, well, the preparations were... Um, quite simple but profound, I would say. Okay. And I th- I think that the uh, the main thing that we wanted to do, or that I wanted to do and Robert to do, was as part of the the main part of a bar mitzvah is putting on tefillin the 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 phylacteries and yes, that word definitely helps
0: people know what tefillin is if they didn't know what they were.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and 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 you both your own tefillin. And put it on me.
2: That's right. Uh, so I brought the tefillin and, and we said the the, the brachot, and um, we also did uh, kiddush. That's nice. Because it was Friday night. Oh wow, the timing on that one worked out. And uh, it was yeah it was quite uh, quite an emotional experience for all of us. It was a quite an, it was quite an honor just to be able to put tefillin on with. the uh, with, with Robert for the first time uh, and it was a real uh, it was a real bar mitzvah I think a lot of people look at a bar mitzvah as uh, you know a large party or even going up to the Torah which is uh, not necessarily a requirement but the real requirement and the real bar mitzvah is the tefillin putting on tefillin and I think that that was really what made it the most uh, simple but the most uh, special
0: and how did you feel after that? What did each of you take from the day? Um, you know, in the article, Doctor of oh, Rabbi, Fo- Mister Fokos,
1: I'm Dr. so confused. Doctor Grassman, Doctor Grassman asked me at the end of our performing there, and asked, and the first thought that came to me was that I was fulfilled. And
0: not only were you fulfilled spiritually, but how are you doing
1: medically now? Well, that's the miracle part. My wife and my daughter tells me that my recovery unbelievably started the next day. Wow. So... And I, I write, I, I kind of say that, and I've given a talk where I said that, that Dr. Grassman wasn't only the healer of the body, but he healed my soul.
0: Wow. Um, now, you explained, Mr. Focus, how you took from the event, how did... Dr. Glassman, how did you and your family take away from the event that occurred, and especially knowing that he made a miraculous recovery after what you did?
2: It's um, a great question. I think the main thing that we all took from the whole thing, the whole event, was, first of all, it was an honor for me to be even part of it, and I don't view myself as really doing uh everything or anything, rather just being a part of the event and being a facilitator, so to speak, uh Shaliach. And uh, uh to me, you know, it was uh it was an honor and I'm humbled by the fact that HaKadosh Baruch, Hu, that God gave me the the opportunity just to be part of it and to be present for it, so to speak. Um I know that Robert got better, not because of what I did, but what, but because of what he did. And what he did, connecting with God, connecting with the infinite through putting on the Tillin made the healing happen. And I was just proud and honored to be there for that.
0: Mr. Focos, how did you and your family take away, now, how are you, um, are you still religious now? What, what do you practice as? With your Judaism, what did you take away from that part of the
1: day? Well, they goes a little bit to the background because without it, it's hard to understand. I went through the Holocaust as an eight-year-old kid. And when I came to this country for years and years and years, I had this terrible feeling about being Jewish. I was ashamed to admit it, I absolutely wasn't connected to the religion whatsoever. And as time went on, I'm 79 years old now, and as time went on, that feeling of missing something from my life. I secretly thought that it was that I needed to reconnect to my grandparents, my parents who perished since, eighty percent of my family who died in the Holocaust, all of them because they were Jews. And I felt that the system and the horror, first the, the fascists and then the communists, so deeply pondered in that religion, and particularly the Jewish religion, was something terrible that it took me so many years to overcome that. And the end of it, which what happened in this episode that we both told you what Dr. Glassman did, and under the condition it was, for me, a feeling that explained.
0: Feeling what? I'm sorry, we didn't catch that.
1: Sorry, I didn't hear it.
0: You said you were feeling something, we just didn't catch exactly what you said after that.
1: No, I I said that it was a feeling that I cannot explain. The the fulfillment was a word, but it was much more. Psychologically, what it did to me, Um, I do not find the proper word to describe.
0: Well, I appreciate you telling your story. Um, I certainly, I mean, it's hard for me to believe, but it happens. And I'm happy that we were able to tell your story together with Dr. Glassman. And I want to thank you for uh, joining us, both of you. Um, we will be right back after this. Thank you. Stunt Show here on the Nacham Siegel Network. My name is Leo Razamik, and today we are telling some crazy stories. And before we start with the first one, we just have a little side story from my father over here, and you'll see how it all ties in after that. So go ahead with your story, and then I'll introduce the guest who's going to tell his full story.
3: Okay, so there is a story that's always been um, in my family, that, um, many years ago, I guess it was probably 65 years ago or, or so. Yeah, give or take. Give or take. Um, my grandfather was scheduled to be Masader Kedushin at his first cousin's wedding. My grandfather was a rabbi and he was, um, scheduled to perform the wedding of his first cousin. On the way to the wedding, again, this is one of those stories that transfers generation In families, and you'll understand why immediately, on the way to the wedding, the groom's parents and sister were killed in a car accident. Um, as the story goes, they were also bringing the food. So the family, um, and the caterer were killed on the way to the, uh, on the way to the wedding. And, um, they, my grandfather knew before the wedding that the, uh, that his uncle and aunt and cousin had passed away. But um, I guess through consultation with a number of other people at the wedding, decided to tell the groom that because once the groom finds out that his parents had died, he can't now get married for another week until after Shiva. So my grandfather felt that at that point um, he would tell the groom that his parents were in an accident. They were in the hospital. They couldn't make it to the wedding, but that they wanted the wedding to go on. Um, now, the consequence of that from a... A religious perspective meant that once that wedding was performed, now the groom couldn't start sitting Shiva until after right. Sheva Brachut were over. Um, and again, this is, you know, many years ago. And, um, you know, circumstances I, 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 right. And, and certainly today we would give the, probably give the bride and the groom, you know, a little bit more information. I think back in the day, there were any number of stories my grandfather used to tell where for whatever reason, and this is through the 60s and the 70s, he would say, for whatever reason, information was withheld from the family. For example, I remember him telling me a story where um, a man was killed in a plane crash, and the there was really nothing left, um, sort of like in a 9-11 kind of, you know, they sort of know the person's dead, but there's nothing left. So they literally took heavy rocks and put them in a coffin, and brought the coffin and buried the rocks, and the family assumed in their minds that the person that had died was intact in you the do coffin what you do in the for ground. The family. Right, you do what you do because he felt that was an easier way for them to get closure because they knew the person had been buried. But either way, so the story was told in my family that um, so the bride and the groom's parents—I'm sorry, the groom's parents—were uh, killed on the way to a wedding. And ultimately, I guess we can certainly look back, and we don't know the causality of anything. Ultimately, the after um, after the wedding, pretty soon after the wedding, the um, the couple had a son, and pretty soon after that, they um, had separated. And so as a as a as a youngster, when my parents were trying to sort of give me a picture of what the family looked like. One of my exercises as a 14 or 15-year-old kid was to uh, make a family tree of that side of the Adams side of the family. And I part of the family tree was, you know, this cousin, Teddy, Got married, got divorced, and there was a son named David who was named after his grandfather who passed away on the way to his parents' wedding, as is, there's a David and a, um, and a, a Grina and a Razel in every of the yeah. families named for the father, the mother, and the sister who passed away. And, um, and, and so, um, and then that's all we knew about him. You know, when I spoke to my grandparents when I was 14 or 15, which is, you know, 30 years ago, um, you know, this is what we know about them. This is who she was. This is, they had a son. Here was his name. And pretty much that was it. And that was the story as the family goes. And I, and certainly, you know, as we're telling the story 40 and 50 years later. You know the joke is too soon. Can you make a joke about it? And certainly, definitely, definitely, the joke was about the food more than it was all about all over the highway. All over the highway, the mm-hmm. fish was all, all over the highway, as my father used to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the family story, and everybody knew it. And and not only did everybody in the family knew it, I remember um, having an incident where um, I where um, my uncle Ushi, who's married into the family on the other side, on the zamic side of the family, knew the story. And certainly, you know, when when uh, when we were getting married, your mother and I. Um, it, it definitely came up as, you know, one of those sort of family lore stories as I'm introducing her to all those right. extended cousins who came now. to the wedding. Everybody in the family knows the story. So certainly, so that's the story that um, my grandfather's uncle and aunt and first cousin um, died on the way to his, co- his cousin's wedding that he was being Masada Kadushin and they decided to go along with the wedding anyway.
0: Okay, put that story in the back of your minds. And now we're going to turn to David Jaffe who is a neighbor of mine, who, I guess we could call it, you found your family, you you long-lost family, but closer than long-lost family, years <laughs> later in your life. So I want to talk about what does that even mean to find your family and how did you find your family from, like, let's start when you were younger. Let's put the pieces together. Did you know you were missing a family, like,
4: Okay, first question. Did I know I was missing a family? Yeah. I did not know that my stepfather wasn't my father until I was 16 years old. I um, had gone by the name David Jaffe my whole life. Um, David Ira Jaffe, David Yitzchak to be exact. Um, And my mother took me to motor vehicle when I was 16 years old. You know, and you go through the test and out comes your birth certificate Which I'd never seen before, and it says David Ira Adams. And I go, Ma, what's this? And she goes, Well, I got married, you were born, I got divorced. End of story. So now I'm 16 years old, and I know that my father isn't really my father, but not a problem. He's been, I wouldn't have known had I not seen the paperwork. He's
0: basically your father. He was my father,
4: you know, never a problem. Never treated me badly ever. I was always his son. So, but now I know, and I always kind of wonder why I didn't look like them. But I always look kind of <laughs> like my mother's. So I was good enough. And uh, I went through life. I had no problems. I did a lot of things in Albany, ran a car stereo business and had a lot of fun. Um, and eventually I ended up in New York. Business failed. I came to New York. And I end up in a B'nai B'rith bowling league, of all things. Um Wait, my- so
0: let's just... Pause for one second. Yeah. When you were 16 and you found out that your father wasn't your father, did you think, well, should I go look for my father? Did you, even though you felt he was your father, did you feel, who's my family? Where are they? Did you want to go look for them? them? Or are you just like, no, I'm happy with what I know, and you know, we'll see what happens down the line.
4: At that time, I was okay with everything. I wasn't too curious. I think I had asked my mother, or my grandmother, you know, where my father. Might be that kind of thing, and they said, "Well, he might live in Muncie." That was, you know, whatever for whatever reason they thought he might live there. But when I was sixteen, seventeen, and life was exciting, it, nothing really. It wasn't a burning desire to know much. Um, I got so you more just interest.
0: Put it in the back of your mind. Yeah, it was and a back I burner thing.
4: It was like, yeah, okay, so I have a real father out there somewhere, but I'll probably never meet him. Okay, most likely, and. um when I was in my later 20s, I had heard that he was in Albany um, for something. And I was really upset when I found out that I didn't see him. Um, I had thought that my grandma, he had contacted my grandmother, who told him not to see me was what I was told. And I was kind of upset because I was in my late 20s. I thought it would have been a great time, but never happened. And I found out later on, after meeting him, but let's go back to how I met.
0: Right, so you're back, you're in the bowling league.
4: Yeah, I'm in a bowling league 50 years later. I'm At that point, when I'm in this bowling league, I'm 58 years old. Okay. At this point. And had never met my father. Didn't know really anything about the family, other than that I'd heard that my father was a religious guy, and, uh, and he and my mother just didn't work, and that was that. Um, so anyway... Here I am at a B'nai B'rith Bowling League. My partner and I are walking out the door at midnight with some idiotic conversation about fathers. And for some reason, I happened to bring up that um, I didn't know my biological father. But, okay. And I said, and I heard that he was a religious guy and uh, he might live in Muncie. And my partner says, so David, you live in Teaneck. Your real father might be in Muncie. We're not too far apart. And you're not trying to find them. And I go, yeah, you know, I'm 58. You know, what's gonna change in my life? You know, right. I don't need this. So he goes, David, for me, you gotta try. So, and you know that if you don't do something, the next Monday he's gonna hock me, David. So what'd you do? You know,
0: right? You gotta, you gotta do something.
4: It. So Tuesday morning, I'm on the internet white pages looking at Adams and Muncie. There must be a thousand.
0: Yeah, that's pretty common name yeah. out there.
4: So, in my engineering type mind i see one house with four phone numbers so okay I'm, so i'm thinking this is a good hit i don't have to make four phone calls i can make one right <laughs> so i call the number and woman answers i tell her who i'm looking for you know my um teddy you know theodore adams married my mother rita becker about 1949 um is this possibly the right family and she says well i don't know give me your number and this is something will call you. Okay. I give her my number. I hang up the phone. I'm done with the project. I'm a salesman, so I'm back on the phone doing business. Ten minutes later, I see a call coming from that area. I pick up. David, this is your uncle, Rabbi Sandy. We've been looking for you for 50 years. Your father is my brother. He's still alive. He lives in Cedarhurst. Here's his phone number. So you found him. Yeah. He says, so here. You accidentally somehow got my daughter-in-law, and
0: well, that's crazy. That of all the Adamses in the whole place, you actually called your family.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was like pesher. I mean, who would know that I'm going to make the one phone call that I'm going to make for this whole project and hit the right one? Right. <laughs> so, um, at that point, we we talk for a few minutes, and he tells me about his son David, because of all the Davids, and then. He said I was the stronger one and I used to be able to, you know, out, out muscle his son, David. I was about two days older than him oh, um, that's funny. as babies. And then I call my father in Cedarhurst or on the phone for like hours telling me about what happened with my mother and why the marriage didn't work and working for my grandfather and all the stuff that I really didn't know about in the background for their problems. and. At the end of this long conversation, David, tonight there's a family wedding in Garfield. Why don't you bring your wife, me me my wife, your sister Razie, and you know, the rest of the family. And I'm like, "Wow, great." And my wife and I went to that wedding, and my father and his wife were the last ones to walk in cuz I'm looking at people and not sure who's who and my wife is going. David, this is unbelievable. You look like everybody else here. And this is the first time in my life that I look like somebody else. I mean, I've always been a a one-of-a-kind person in my family. So the last person to walk in is Teddy and his wife. And my, my wife goes, there's your father. It was
0: clear that you looked like your father.
4: I am, it turns out, the closest copy to my father of all the kids.
0: Which is funny because you thought you looked like your mother.
4: Yeah. I mean, compared to my stepfather, which was zero, I look kind of like my mother. But then when you look at it in the overall picture with the Adams family...
0: You fit right in.
4: I fit in. And his wife, uh, Faye, is a wonderful person, welcomed me into the family and... She started telling me I look like the Kozlowitzes, and all. I have a cousin uh, Chaim that you would think were brothers. Oh wow! I uh, mean, it's unbelievable—the um, relation, the resemblance, the color, the facial look, everything. And uh, from that point on, we had a relationship. Um, you know, well, I college. was going to
0: ask you: Do you still see them? Do you still keep in touch with them?
4: Yeah, um, I've um, you know become part of the family, I'm not as close as I would like to be because the distances are right. kind of great. I have a brother in Efrat, which I visited three years ago. We spent Shabbos there. We had a fabulous time with his wife. Um, and his wife comes from this area. And her brother and sister live here in Teaneck. Or, I'm, I'm sorry, her two brothers are in Teaneck. Um, so it's kind of crazy that I would end up here. But yeah, great relationship with my uh, brother Gershon Adams, my sister Bryna um, Weeder, who lives in Flatbush, my sister Raisi, uh, Levy, who um, is in Far Rockaway. I have nieces and nephews and great nieces and nephews, like an exponential number. <laughs> I mean, it's like every day you get a note, somebody's having a baby. Oh wow! <laughs> um, so I have, you know, great nieces and nephews and nieces and nephews from Israel to here um, and relations uh, that I wouldn't have even dreamed of knowing about as a kid. Uh, and a. Uh, and a great aunt who I finally met when I was in Israel, who didn't die in the car crash. And I was I caught her up to my life. In one hour, I caught her up in 60 years. Um, and I asked her, how come you, you survived um, the car crash? Because one of the sisters, the last rest stop before the crash, she traded seats with the aunt who died. It was amazing. Right.
0: So I want to I want to come back to that yeah. if listeners just picked that up because you were talking to your father why things didn't work out and now you just mentioned the car crash again. For those yeah. who are just tuning in, the story that we told before from my family that we always heard is your family. You, you, you your your father
4: right.
0: was the groom at the wedding right. where the caterer Died in a car crash on the way to the wedding.
4: The caterer who happened to be my grandfather. Who happened to be
0: your grandfather. <laughs> right. So.
4: Which is one of the questions, ironically, you're asking me. Because after meeting the family, not ever knowing anything about my family, um, I'm asking my father. I say, nah, Dad, now that I'm thinking about this wedding that was happening in Albany at my grandparents' house. And my grandparents were not Shomer Shabbos. And I'm thinking to myself, they're having a wedding at my grandparents' house What are they going to eat? You know? So I said, Dad, where was the food coming from, you know, for the wedding? Because my grandparents wouldn't have been acceptable. And he goes, yeah, that was in my father's trunk.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So the whole story is together. And you even said it's funny that you ended up here where your Hmm. cousins live in Teaneck. And Hmm. you literally ended up on the same block as your cousins. Yeah. Which brings you back into the story because you have another amendment to the story that we would have figured this whole thing out like five years earlier.
3: Right. So we are neighbors of the Jaffees and We live you know,
0: three doors down from each other. Three doors
3: down from the Jaffees. We've known
0: you. It's yeah, not it like we didn't even be, know who you yeah, were.
3: Yeah, like, right. And it happened to be that um, David's wife, Arlene, was not feeling so well. And um, my wife, your mother. Right. She went Michelle over. Michelle went over with a friend from across the street um, to just visit her while she was recuperating. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know how the story came up. Well,
0: he said that he just met his brother. No,
3: I just got off the phone. Oh, just got you off the phone. You had just gotten with with
0: off with your brother. In Israel. Who you were about to meet, or you just met. No, I met. Already met
4: him. This was after the fact. Right. No, no, but But, but she it.
0: said, what do you mean you just met your brother for the first time?
4: Oh, or no, something I, I, like okay. that. Okay, I guess I probably said something. That I just got off the phone with my brother, who I've only met recently. Right. right. Um, who lives in Israel. And
0: she said, what do you mean you just met your brother recently? And then you started telling the story.
4: Right, right, right. From that became, oh, yeah, I didn't tell you that I met my biological father and my brother Gershon lives in Israel. And she goes, Gershon? And I said, Gershon Adams. And uh, your mother goes, the car crash, Adams? And I go, oh, my God, how do you know that? She goes, I think you're my husband's cousin. And then?
3: And then it turns out we were cousins. Uh, We are cousins. And uh, so that was a, so like I said, she knew the story from the beginning and um, and we had discovered while you 're sort of randomly searching mm-hmm. and this is sort of the the crazy part one of the crazy parts of the story while you you're randomly searching for your friend Adams in Muncie. We literally live three doors down from you. Right. Know the story and know exactly who you are and where you fit into the family. But
4: didn't, but until. I had no idea. under the name Jaffe. Exactly. There was no way for
0: us to know. Uh, If we knew your name was David Adams, we would have figured this out the second we met
5: you.
3: And and, and and also the interesting addendum to the story was we didn't discover this story until after your father had passed away. And so I remember you coming to Shul in young Israel of Teinach to say, Kaddish for your father, yeah. literally three feet away from me. Yeah. We didn't know because of, at that point so many of that generation has already, my grandmother was the one who sort of kept in touch with all the family. Yeah. We didn't know that your father had passed away. And, oh. and Rochelle had said to me, how crazy would that have been if we would have walked into the Shiva house in Cedarhurst for your father and you would have been sitting there and, that would have that would have been It would like, have been
0: cool if it unfolded it, in that it, house. Correct. Would, right, that would right. have been
3: that would have been even crazier. But I didn't even know you were saying Kaddish for my grandfather's first cousin three feet away from me in shul until mm-hmm. months later when the whole story came out. Yeah. And interesting by, by the way, about your extended relatives, So there are a number of them who lived in Teaneck or have lived in Teaneck. Mm-hmm. Um I think Brian Schuffe lived in Teaneck for a while, but now she probably lives up in Muncie. I think um Barry um also lived in Tinek um for a while. And you also have beyond the cousins that you mentioned, you have uh a cousin who was the administrator, I think he might still be the administrator of the Yeshiva program at Y or by Bronstein.
0: Mm-hmm. And are these our cousins too?
3: Well, exactly. The same Adam's cousins. That's, That's how crazy. I know who his cousins are. Yeah. And I believe, and if it's not your first cousin, it's it's probably no, it should be your first cousin, is the Rush Yeshiva at the Punavitsch Yeshiva in Israel. Oh, jeez. Okay. So, um so they're it, 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 your their family's
4: Wow. Correct. I think <laughs> that
3: your father must have been one of eight, seven or eight children, maybe. yes a lot. Right. So there were a lot of children, and they all were, uh, you know, all had, you know, many. Well, he said many he just,
4: has great
0: nieces and nephews, right. and great great, and every correct. day somebody else is having another right. kid. And so. what if
3: Sandy's kids actually? um I guess raises money for yeshiva in Israel and he, and some of the neighbors know him from when he comes to America to collect, so. Oh,
4: yeah, that could be the son Israel. Right, yes. Cause I met him at, Shiva. I met at Shiva, I met, a, Shiva, right. I met and, a lot of
3: family. And I met him, I, you know, cause we didn't always, we, we certainly didn't live in the same neighborhood for a long time cause Sandy lived most of the, those years in Farakaway near the rest of the family. Yep. Um, where, um, I met, Yisrael in camp. We had just randomly sort of went to camp together. He's probably, I don't know, seven or eight years younger than I am. Yeah. But um, we sort of randomly <coughs> went, went to camp there. And again, it, I guess in theory, Adams is an extraordinarily common name in this country, yeah. but not among Jews. Right. Right.
0: But it's not just that. It's the David Adams. And that's what makes right. it even crazier that that's literally every single person in our family. Well,
4: and
3: the interesting part of that is that all the David Adamses you know, or the one David Adams you know, is not named after... Chaim David. Okay, but it's Chaim still David, a common right. name. His name is David Shai. Actually, he's named yeah. after somebody else.
0: Oh well, it's still funny that any time I hear David Adams, it's right, like, you're
3: thinking of your of my cousin, my first cousin David Adams, correct?
0: But okay, so I think we covered everything in this story. I'm mm. ho- pretty sure the listeners are like mind blown the same <laughs> way we were mind blown when it happened, and then you even. I think my grandmother is your second cousin. Is that what it is?
3: Um, right. My mother is David's second cousin, correct. Yeah.
0: So I remember when you met her, she was over here, and you came over once. Right. It was during Sheva Braco. For a different side of the family. Right. And she was here, and you guys met, and it was cool to see you meeting for the first time.
4: Oh. And
3: telling stories. She knows more, way more of the family stories over the years, certainly, than I do.
4: Well, I grew up totally insulated. Right. My mother blocked the marriage from her history. It, was, it basically came down to that initial story. I got married, you were born, I got divorced. Case closed.
3: When did you find out about the car crash? After you met your father, or at some point in your twenties? I had came heard out? about it, uh-huh.
4: but it was not, because the whole chapter of my mother's life was like blotted out. Right. There wasn't discussion about it. It was like, yeah, there was a car crash. They died. I got married. That's it. You know? Right,
3: and I remember when we had met, I showed you that family tree. Yeah. And your name was on the family tree. So. Yeah, right there, right. Teddy, Right, R- Rita, right. David.
4: That's what's also cool about it.
3: Right, that we, so we always knew that there was well, David part, there. And
4: part of the problem for people to track me down was nobody knew my real last name. Right. Because your
3: mother had gotten remarried.
4: Right, because I didn't stay with Adams. She became a Jaffe, so I became a Jaffe. And it wasn't done legally either at that point. So yeah, nobody knew anything? Right.
0: Well, so. I'm very happy that we came and told the story. Yeah. It's a pretty crazy story. Um, and we will be right back after this.
5: <laughs> In my mind, another miracle, not the obvious kind. sign for everyone to see but it takes a man to see his plan for all that's meant
0: Thank you for tuning in to The Stunt Show here on the Nakam Siegel Network. Just to sum up, I hope you all enjoyed hearing from Mr. Focos about having his bar mitzvah at age 77 with the help of Dr. Glassman, as well as uh, hearing from my neighbor, David Jaffe, about how he reconnected with his family later in his life, even though we were living three doors down and we had absolutely no idea. Don't forget to stay tuned to the Nahum Siegel Network all day for great programming. If you have any questions or show ideas, please feel free to email me at leora at That's spelled L-E-O-R-A at N-A-C-H-U-M-S-E-G-A-L dot com. Also, if you would like to enter the latest contest from Instabake, which is my baking business, please feel free to email me if you'd like to order as well. And that email address is leora.insta.bake at gmail.com. L-E-O-R-A dot I-N-S-T-A dot B-A-K-E at gmail.com. Thank you for joining us today, and have a Chodesh Tov. (laughs)
5: The Kurzman Bae, the It the